welcome to Genderfuck, the sexual health and wellness podcast run by trans people and for trans people. I'm your host, Dan Griffiths. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Oliver Ellis. My pronouns are also he, him. Just right off the bat, I just want to kind of little update. Um, there's another podcast that I was a guest in that's coming out soon. Um, I'll link it when it comes out. It won't be coming out for another few weeks, but I was a guest on the Bad Sex podcast and I was just talking about like what it's like being trans, using dating apps, kind of just navigating being trans and having sex and stuff like that. I'll put the link to the show in the show notes and then I guess I'll just like retweet and put stuff around on our socials when the actual episode comes out. But yeah. Yeah, very exciting. I feel like you're you're all over the place with all the sexual health podcasts. You're like becoming a, <laughs> I don't know, a big name in podcasting. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then I'm also, I might be doing a talk at some point. Um, I'll give more details when I have more information about that, but. Watch the space. <laughs> yeah, watch the space. I think it's like a pay what you can thing and it's like on Zoom or something. So that could be a cool thing if people want to just like listen to some sex stuff with trans people because I think there's like they've got five or so people, including me, that they're wanting to have speak. So yeah, very cool. That could be a fun time. Yeah, we'll make sure to like kind of retweet and post lots of stuff about all the cool events that are happening for sure. Um, we also just wanted to mention that it's LGBT History Month here in the UK. Um, so, you know, celebrate that in whatever way you can. But I think there's lots of um, there's lots of cool stuff happening online in terms of like sharing different LGBT history, you know, media and stuff from archives and stuff. So we'll kind of try to spread that around as well, just to sort of, you know, acknowledge our history. Hell yeah. Love that. I'm in the <laughs> middle of reading a book let me see if i have it it is called the end of innocence britain in the time of aids which i think is very i guess topical for this month i yeah. still need to sit down and read it a bit more mm -hmm. but it's pretty good so far so i would recommend that yeah very cool i also i actually just started reading um we both laughed in pleasure the um mm, lou sullivan diaries so oh it's amazing i like it's been sitting on my shelf for a while and i finally started reading it and it's it's so good i i mean it's so cool to kind of hear a person's life like perfectly kind of encapsulated in their own words um it's just mm. i'm only like um i don't know maybe a third of the way through it but um yeah i would definitely recommend that as well yeah like i know my partner has it on his kindle and he keeps being like you're welcome to like use my account and like read it and i keep being like yeah i'm gonna read it and then i just don't because i think <laughs> my brain just kind of sucks so <laughs> no, I feel that it was, I've actually found it, you know, a pretty easy read because it's like, it's just diary entries. So it's so short. Mm. Um, cause I definitely yeah. struggle with that sometimes, especially like with more nonfiction stuff. Um, there's like so many cool nonfiction books about, yeah, like queer history or like sexual health that I'm like, oh, I want to read that. But then, you know, sometimes the brain isn't always kind of up there with the motivation. So <laughs> kind of helps to have something in small doses. And like, my problem is that I literally only read nonfiction. So like, yeah. I'm like, I'm wanting to read, but then I'm like, I look at my bookshelf and I'm like, mm. <laughs> like, I don't want to put the effort in, which is why I'm a big pod, like, um, audiobook fan. Cause I can just put that in when I'm mm. like painting or something, which is good. Yeah. That's a good idea. But then I'm also like, I want to be a little indie bitch and like, have actual books and like read them be yeah like intellectual for the aesthetic. i know and then i don't use them <laughs> because it doesn't work with my brain <laughs> yeah the dark academia doesn't work with um yeah, yeah with like i don't know just my brain being um, dumb not dumb not dumb everyone's you know yeah i think everyone kind of struggles with that sometimes i feel like everyone i'm talking to at the moment is like i don't know i feel like you get into a point of like it's the like big reader as a kid oh to like me. can't even read one me. page like pipeline you know like i feel like sometimes going through i don't know kind of academic stuff and like reading for for work and for um school and stuff sort of i don't know like reading doesn't feel as fun mm. anymore but i think you know you can always get back into it it's just um you know and it's good to have other options like audiobooks and stuff because books just don't really work for some people yeah. which is absolutely fair very fair oh we've gone so off topic already <laughs> um to bring it back i don't think we've actually mentioned what we're talking about today but nope. um basically the topic of this episode is porn Yee. so we can kind of get right into that then yeah because we wanted to talk about this because it's quite like i don't know i think it can be quite a controversial topic sometimes i think we mm -hmm. just wanted to go through different arguments and stuff and kind of give our own piece look at some like academic literature and stuff about porn because it's all very interesting. Mm. Um, and like to start, we just wanted to kind of go through kind of definitions of porn because like it can really vary between like different people, but also like between different cultures. Um, 
so I took this definition from a like academic presentation that I did and like as we'll go through this a little bit you'll realize that I think it's a bit too kind of narrow but like basically what I used was um, the definition of professionally produced or user-generated pictures or video clips intended to sexually arouse the viewer. These videos or pictures typically depict sexual activity such as masturbation or oral sex, as well as vaginal and anal penetration, in an unconcealed way, often with a close-up on genitals. Um, and then, like, there's that kind of quite infamous quote um, from, like, an Ohio case. I can't remember what it was exactly. It was, like, something to do with porn. Um, but the Supreme... Supreme? um but the supreme court justice said i know it when i see it um regarding if he can tell what is hardcore porn or not but like obviously that's not very accurate because like what constitutes like it varies quite a lot um Mm. so obviously you have to be a bit more i don't know i can't remember the term in like academia when you like really define your variables but that's just my brain being super tired today because my cat is a brat and she keeps waking me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, oh man, I, I'm trying to think of the word as well, but... Operationalize. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. There we go. <laughs> my brain. We've both been to uni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. You're tired. We're, we're mm. all tired. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, as Dan was talking about the definition, it, it can be quite hard to define, um, you know, defining it to just pictures and video clips is a bit narrow, um, you know, because I think there's lots of other sort of mediums of porn as well um for so one example um pornhub does like narrated porn um so this is like for people who are potentially blind or visually impaired um so there's like porn where someone narrates what's happening on top of the audio of the video um there's also like descriptive videos for people who are like deaf and hearing impaired um there's like I don't know. There's lots of different things. There's also just like audio porn that is just kind of for people who are into just sort of the moans and groans of sex. There's also like written porn. So if people want to, you know, read an erotic novel, um, I think sometimes that kind of is on Mm. that line between porn and not porn. But I mean, I think it, I don't know. I think kind of the most inclusive definition I could think of is just any kind of piece of media that's produced with the intention of like sexually arousing the viewer. I think that's a completely fair um definition of porn um we also wanted to talk about sexual scripts theory before we get into it just because it might come up a couple times um and it's basically a theory by gangon and simon i think i'm pronouncing the name right but from 1973 um and it's basically the fact that we like internalize messages about sexuality and gender through media and like other like societal kind of learning mediums and stuff you know um mm-hmm. i love it when my brain works um and basically these like bits of media and like these messages can shape modify or reinforce pre-existing sexual scripts that we have and they have like a bit of a knock-on effect to our future sexual thoughts behaviors and interactions so like a pretty easy example of like a sexual script would be kind of the idea that maybe you think sex would start with kissing and then go on to touching and then go on to like undressing and then oral and penetration and climax like that would be a script of the behavior yeah i think that's a good thing to bring up because i think we've kind of touched on it before but not really defined it of mm-hmm. like yeah the idea that it has to go from one thing to another and like in a very sort yeah. of linear way when in reality it might not necessarily actually go like that but yeah good definition um so we also wanted to kind of touch on why you know queer people in particular might consume porn um because it seems that from a study by lim and colleagues in 2017 um, there's like up to three times more frequent porn usage compared to like cishet people. Another point is that 95% of um, people who were involved in the survey by Taryn Siggins Trust um, were not taught LGBTQ plus issues in relationships and sex education. Um, you know, I think sometimes in schools, if it's introduced, there might be backlash from parents um, due to, you know, religious beliefs, for example. Oh, yeah, that was like the incident in Birmingham. I just remember talking about it in that presentation that I did um, mm. at my degree. Um, but it's basically like there was a school in Birmingham that wanted to start talking about LGBT things and there was just like a lot of parents who were kind of like protesting against it and stuff like that being like I don't want my kid to learn about this Mm -hmm. I always get kind of sad whenever I see things like that because I'm like what if that kid 
is LGBT or something and they can't even like learn about it because of like yeah. their parents being like that, which is quite sad, but yeah. yeah, you see a lot of that stuff in the U.S. as well. Like, there's such a mm. sort of variety of the sex ed that people get. You know, some schools are kind of on it with, you know, LGBTQ plus issues and, like, better types of sex ed. But other places are still, like, abstinence only and, like, not allowed to teach about any kind of queer stuff. So there's just, like, it, it's a shame that depending on what school your kid goes to, that like, their experiences are going to be so widely different. Um, yeah, I think it's... A bit better in the UK now because mm-hmm. within the past few years they did like a big revamp on kind of what's supposed to be taught in yeah. relationship and sex education in the UK and I'm pretty sure like pretty much every school has to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, like I'm at least glad that it's not as bad as like in the US where it's like it not even like varies from like state to state but like within school to school I guess in like some areas and stuff where like one person like a school down the street is getting like very good comprehensive sex education but then the other one is just like if you have sex, you'll get chlamydia and die, kind of a thing. I'm yeah, like, it's very relax, like mean girls. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like sometimes, like if no one teaches people about that, porn might be the only way for like young queer people to actually see what sex might look like for them. Um, and so, you know, lack of education is a big part of this issue. Um, and I think it even kind of goes for straight cis people as well. You know, a lot of people learn about sex from porn because any kind of sex just isn't really taught to them by teachers or parents. Um, and I feel like you <laughs> always see that stereotype in like older movies about, you know, a kid getting like a porn mag from an older brother or something and being like, <laughs> wow, that's sex. I understand now. And I don't know, it's like this whole thing of like it getting passed down as like an oral history almost, you know, like learning from the older kids. And it's like, we should be able to teach young people sex in a way that is, you know, I don't know, more comprehensive than just kind of learning about it from some random older kid. Yeah. And especially because like, I guess one thing you would learn from porn that you maybe won't learn from like sex education is like the kind of aspect of sexual pleasure because like Mm -hmm. people aren't getting, usually like my own experience was kind of just like, this is sex, this is used for reproduction. And I was like, but it's also used because it's fun. So you should be telling people that. But like, obviously, if they're not getting that kind of education, then they don't maybe like have some weird views about it because they don't know any better, I guess. Yeah. And I guess like having shame around it as well. Like, um, mm. you know, I think a lot of people have shame in the actual pleasure aspect of it, you know, like any reason that isn't, you know, having a baby, you know, people pe- people feel weird about um, just because like if that's all they were kind of accustomed to, um, it can really sort of influence you even into like adulthood. Yeah, exactly. And then another study by some researchers that I don't know how to say the name. I'm just going to put them in the show notes. I'm not going to lie. Um, but they found three main motivations for consuming porn in LGBT people. So one, the development of sexual identity, so kind of figuring your shit out. Two, information seeking and learning. And then three, sexual pleasure. And then like another study by Arrington Saunders et al. found that like LGBT youth described porn as like a manual for sex. So I guess like, as I said earlier, like a sexual script, um, especially because like porn can mm-hmm. help kind of inform individuals of stuff like sexual roles, like who is the top, who is the bottom, kind of like what's the typical behavior, I guess, that people in these positions do, Um, kind of responsibilities around sex, kind of positions that you could do, um, potential feelings that you could feel during different activities, so like pleasure or pain, I guess, like if you're doing, I don't know, some kind of impact play, like you'd kind of expect that that would hurt because you've seen it in porn. Um, and then another study by Albury found that in the 1980s, that like a lot of like sex education was targeted towards gay men through porn by like kind of putting in the porn that like people were using condoms and stuff like that to kind of help. I think it was like to do with the AIDS crisis and stuff to help kind of promote using barrier methods to help reduce the spread of HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also found that like within kind of LGBT porn, there tends to be quite a lot of like incorporating safe sex practices like gloves, condoms, dirty talkers, sexual negotiation and stuff. Um, just because I guess it's more important to be, not more important, but it's like important to be showing that to LGBT people because they may not see it somewhere else. And it might be the only place they see it unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the kind of criticisms sometimes you get of porn um, and like gay porn in specific is the sort of thing of like, you know, bareback or like sex without a condom being really commonly showed. Um, And, you know, there is potential for this to kind of, you know, promote 
you know, quote unquote, unsafe sort of sexual practices um, Mm -hmm. and creating those sexual scripts that sort of normalize risks, you know, without, you know, talking about the spread of STIs or HIV. Um, Obviously, like, you know, like something like banning bareback porn isn't something that would work, you know, because like there are people who, you know, might want to watch that as like a fantasy, but not do it in their real life. Or, you know, if people do want to have bareback sex in real life as well, like it's not on us or like the porn industry to judge them for that. Um, And I think a big point is that like what we don't see going on behind the scenes are, you know, things like negotiations of boundaries, um, you know, getting tested, going on prep. Um, You know, I think my thing about bareback sex and porn isn't like, oh, that's bad. It shouldn't exist. It's just that like people aren't always aware of, you know, important sort of harm reduction stuff that the actors are doing behind the scenes. Um, And even things like, like using lots of lube and fingering are kind of barely shown in porn, you know, stuff that makes the experience easier and more pleasurable. Um, And so I think for me, like a big part of I guess porn literacy and just kind of like being more aware of porn is that like people should learn that there's much more to sex than than what they are actually seeing on the screen. Um, Because, you know, there's like there doesn't have to be anything wrong with bareback sex, but, you know, people need to know that there are other options and other ways that they can kind of reduce that risk. Yeah, exactly. And I think also like the thing of like people I think aren't often aware of kind of, I guess it's, it's more so towards kind of professional porn like that's done in like a studio Mm. and stuff like that but there's a lot that goes on like behind the scenes um like a lot of consent forms like a lot of like prep like and testing and stuff like that that you obviously like aren't going to be seeing Mm. in um things i've seen like in some gay porn things they'll have like little interviews with the actors and stuff to be like did you like that like what did you like kind of a thing like that kind of thing which i quite like um yeah because i think it it's good that it like normalizes and like shows that aspect mm. of sex and porn production. Yeah. I think some porn does as well, like almost a little disclaimer thing at the start of like, mm. you know, saying that like, you know, actors have been tested, like, you know, there's stuff that goes on, which I think, you know, that is what we need to be showing, you know, just the fact that yeah. it's kind of realistically, there's more stuff happening that you don't actually get to see. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then another study by Silvera et al, they surveyed some men who have sex with men and they found that about 50% reported consuming only safe only porn. So kind of stuff like the actors and stuff are wearing condoms and stuff like that, kind of more safer sex practices and stuff. And that was like more associated with self-identified bisexual, single individuals and people who are HIV negative. Um, and they also stated that these people... Um, like the safe sex that they watched in porn also reflected their practices outside. 46% consumed a mix of safe and quote-unquote high-risk pornography. And then 4.5% reported only watching quote-unquote high-risk porn like bareback. But obviously the stuff that we just said about like our issues with the kind of generalization of bareback porn. Um, but this was mostly associated with HIV-positive men who partook in sorting behavior. So having unprotected sex with people who are also HIV positive. Um, but like an interesting point about this study is that they found that like these individuals who consumed this porn primarily said that it didn't really reflect their real life sexual practices. And it was more just like a fantasy than like kind of instruction of like what to do in their like day-to-day life and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because I think so much of porn is a fantasy for some people. You know, I think like a lot of this kind of moral panic around porn um, assumes that you know people are going to watch porn and then go out and do exactly what they just saw like immediately whereas that's not usually the case um but yeah i mean a lot of people watch porn because it's a fantasy you know it might not be something that they'd ever actually try um and even if it is like as long as everyone is consenting and knows the risks like there's absolutely mm-hmm. no issue with it you know whether it's like um doing a certain kink or doing kind of bdsm or having like bareback sex you know if everyone is consenting and aware of the risks that are kind of happening like why are we sort of judging them for that you know yeah exactly and i think like i i think me and like a lot of people would say that like i've definitely watched porn that i've been like this is hot as a concept but it's not something i really want to like do myself like i'm just yeah for sure yeah so i'm like i feel like a lot of people use porn that way so kind of like looking at i guess the things that people are looking at and then making judgments based off that doesn't Mm -hmm. really make that much sense because it could just be like this is kind of cool. I'm not going to do it though. <laughs> no. Yeah, totally. And like going off that, I think porn can also be like a really 
quite like great way to open up people's sexual horizons and maybe like find things that they want to like do or try um it also like allows for like safe satisfaction of sexual curiosities um that might otherwise be deemed maybe deviant or dangerous or something like that obviously like not promoting people going out and watching like very illegal porn or anything but like maybe someone's interested in like some bdsm stuff but their partner isn't or something so they mm. could watch bdsm porn to kind of get that itch scratched yeah bit, you know? for sure um and then like a study found that a more that more exposure to sexually explicit materials was associated with less sexual anxiety and then another study found that through learning about and practicing new sexual activities that they learned through porn it also like enhanced shared pleasure between them and their partner um and then also another study again um found that mainstream pornography with higher consumption was also associated with a more positive view of their own sexuality so i think like being able to have porn i guess is an like, an avenue to explore and kind of get yourself a bit more comfortable with sex especially because we live in a quite we live in a society but we live in quite <laughs> a, like sex negative society so kind of being able to own the fact that you like porn and you like kind of that aspect of pleasure can be quite like a liberating thing for people i think yeah totally and i think like just helping people get rid of that shame around um around sex in general but also about like maybe their body type or their sexuality or like certain things that excite them you know because i think you know if you're into a specific kink or something and you feel kind of weird or bad about it if you see that there's other people who are into that and like other people who are making that kind of porn you know i feel like that helps people realize like oh it, you know it is okay that i'm into this stuff mm. you know it doesn't have to be a bad thing yeah exactly or even just like queer people who like don't see other queer people in their life or in like media or in their sex ed you know if they see queer people in porn it's like well you know they exist at least you know which is something and it's quite nice if you i guess like because there's a lot of like unfortunate messaging around like i guess trans people in particular of being like why would i want to have sex with you like it's gross so i guess yeah. like, it can be quite nice to be like you know what mm -hmm. people do fucking think trans people are hot like not even like in a kind of fetishy way just like trans people are hot mm -hmm. like i'm t for t i'm gonna fucking announce that like trans people are hot so <laughs> I think it's quite nice yeah. to be able to kind of see that, especially through, I guess, more like homemade porn and stuff that you see. It's quite nice because it's quite like, I guess, realistic and stuff because, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I think one of the main problems is people not really having the tools through sex ed to kind of understand what they see in porn and like understand that it is a performance and it often doesn't reflect people's actual sexual experiences um you know some people might assume that certain types of porn like kind of kinkier stuff is non-consensual because of the way that porn you know is kind of edited unfortunately not really seeing those aspects of consent come into play um and i think and as we kind of said before, you know, people who engage in porn production do have to go through like processes of testing and consent forms and all that stuff when they're working for like a professional company. Um, but obviously, I think if you're either if you're new to porn or if you just watch certain types of porn, like you don't really get to see that at all. But like, I don't think it was something I was really that aware of until, um, you know, Amp from What's the Safe Word. Yeah. He did a vlog where it was like behind the scenes of what it's like making porn and stuff. And it was like a really interesting oh, cool. video. I'll like link it um in the show notes if I remember. I probably yeah, will because I'm editing it. But um <laughs> but that was like a really nice way to kind of see what the forms and stuff he was given were like. So because mm. it was like a more of a kind of kink scene, they had like kind of yes, no, maybe lists and kind of like stuff like that where it was like, what are your boundaries? Like what do you absolutely like not want to do in this scene mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I think that's something that i would hope a lot more people would be able to like learn happens within porn yeah totally i think it, there's this whole thing as well about like the kind of professional porn like with studios and production companies versus like mm -hmm. you know, the kind of more homemade stuff um i mean i feel like we could probably fill a whole episode with that but like there is so many interesting differences but um we don't have to get in that right now but um kind of going back to i mean if people want it we can do an episode like that yeah yeah so. that would be good um yeah, continue. <laughs> but so yeah, so I've taught a little bit of kind of like porn literacy sort of stuff in schools. Um, and I think a lot of the focus that I've put on it is like challenging those assumptions that come with watching porn, um, you know, kind of asking questions and like promoting, I guess, sort of critical thinking. Um you know, asking questions like, are the body types you see in porn representative of the whole community? You know, does every person 
with a penis have an enormous like nine inch dick like you know is that really something that's realistic you know no it's not um because i think stuff like that can really affect people's body image you know if they're mm-hmm. only seeing certain body types being you know presented as you know beautiful or yeah. sexual or like desirable um and you know as we were talking about as well like do these scenarios in porn come up naturally or do you think there were maybe some conversations that were had before um and even you know that reminder that like the roles that are played in porn are made up you know there's a lot of like you know teacher student or like step sibling dynamics and it's like these people are not teachers and students or step siblings <laughs> like it is very much a fantasy they're actors you know i think stuff that might not be a healthy dynamic in real life is you know shown in porn so i think just making sure that people kind of understand that um, you know, especially young people as they're starting to watch porn. But I just think like those kind of roles and stuff that people tend to do in porn and stuff like it's, I think it's more to do with the power dynamics within mm. that, like two couples of like teacher student, like obviously yeah. like that's a really, not something people should be doing like in real life. Yeah. Um, and it's like a very taboo thing, but I think that's obviously like one part of why people quite like it. Um, and they just like mm-hmm. yeah, that kind definitely. of power dynamic thing because it's, I don't know, it could be kind of fun to just play around with it, but it doesn't like necessarily mean that someone wants to go and like fuck their teacher or something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like there's like role play as well. Like, yeah. you know, if that's the kind of thing that you could bring into your bedroom is like teacher student role play. And it's like very different than like thinking, oh, actually, yeah, this should happen in real life, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, whenever you're talking about porn to, to, you know, anyone really, like, it's not about shame. You know, I think the last thing that, you know, we want to do or that any sex ed lesson should do is like shame people for, for actually having sexual urges because that can be really harmful, um, you know, especially for young people, but for anyone really, you know, um, like we have to acknowledge that there are reasons that people seek out porn, you know, because it does help them you know, feel these perfectly natural sexual thoughts and urges. Um, Lots of people watch porn and there's no reason that you should feel dirty about it or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. I think like another kind of problem I have about stuff around porn isn't necessarily about porn per se, but it's about kind of like the messaging around porn and kind of the manipulation of statistics that kind of quite sex negative and like anti-porn organizations like to use um they often like mistake correlation for causality so like for example something could say like this study found that like people who watched a higher amount of porn had a smaller area in the brain so that means porn is shrinking your brain and it's like um no i don't think that's happening like it could just be no it could just be like people have like i don't know a small part of their brain and then they seek more stimulation that way or something like that and that's why they mm. watch more porn so like presenting these things because like the thing is that i don't know the case if it's either one because it's a correlation but people yeah. making these kind of causal relationship kind of statements and stuff like it really if you don't understand statistics then it's quite an quite like a manipulative way to get people on your side by kind of taking a set like a statement like that and being like so i'm right even if the actual science is like we don't know what the answer is we don't know what's going on yeah they're just using it to like confirm their pre-existing beliefs Mm -hmm. and like make everyone else think that they have science on their side when in reality that's not really the case yeah exactly because i think like i'm i've seen like research for porn being helpful in some ways like the stuff that we said earlier but then i've also seen research about porn being unhelpful in other ways like with body image and stuff like that but then Mm -hmm. obviously if you're looking at studies like this you need to kind of go a bit further than like the abstract of the study and actually see what things they were actually measuring and seeing if you think there's anything that they maybe missed out um like they just maybe because like science is meant to be objective but people do come into science with their own kind of assumptions and like sometimes that might lead people into kind of making research where it's like i'm just gonna measure porn and negative body image but then it's like what if you measured the positive as well and see Mm -hmm. if yeah totally which one is like a stronger relate like stronger relationship or like something like that but like omitting the other part of it could be kind of skewing what this person's saying 
Um, so I think like if you're interested enough to go into the literature, that's like a very important thing that I would stress is like kind of look into what they did, see if there's any conflicts of interest, like if they were funded by like a certain organization or something like that fucking, I can't remember what it's called, but it's an American, it's like the Family Planning Institute or some shit like that. I hate that organization. <laughs> <laughs> but like if they have some kind of agenda around why they're doing the research then like make sure you're looking at that that's just yeah research critical thinking 101 so i think it's a very good thing for people to kind of learn because i think that is one thing like i'm going on a tangent but like i think like <laughs> understanding statistics is one of the most important things especially as like there's all that this like misinformation and stuff that's going on like with news articles and stuff like that and like the internet um so mm. i think i genuinely think like statistics should be taught in like high school and stuff and then people can have a bit more of a understanding about it because i'd never really learned about statistics like properly until my undergraduate degree obviously if not mm. everyone's going to do psychology or something which is very like this kind of stats heavy like human behavior stats and stuff then they might not know what like a study is actually saying um but mm. that's just my piece about it i think more people should be taught it so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it's just that critical thinking and analysis of like you know don't believe everything you read even if it like looks like a scientific article because yeah. that you know doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually like saying what people are saying that it says you know yeah. <laughs> like you can kind of describe even with something like stats like people can kind of describe it in any way they want to just using very specific words and stuff that make it quite misleading to people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and I think like another thing around like the conversation around porn that I think is quite a big issue is this kind of like really black and white thinking about porn, right? It's either like some people, like some organizations being like, porn is like destroying society and it's ruining <laughs> your children and you're gonna fucking die. Like a bit like the coach from Mean Girls, I guess, being like really fucking overdramatic. <laughs> um, or it's like porn is entirely harmless. And I don't think either one of these statements is inherently true. I think there are things in porn that are harmful and there are also things about porn that aren't harmful. Um, it's just like how I don't think like it's, unreasonable to support sex workers because they need support obviously everyone does every worker does um but you can also be critical about the effects that like the industry could be having on people yeah um because like sex work is work it's in the name but sex work also doesn't come with adequate workers rights or protections this isn't the fault of the sex worker um it's the fault of lawmakers who fail to put in adequate protections um so like people tend to go directly for the porn actors and kind of blame them for things that are going wrong. And I'm like, that's not really their fault. Yeah. Like I quite all. liked in, yeah, like I liked in Amsterdam, we went around the, um, I think it's called like Red Light Secrets. And it talks about how kind of the policies and stuff that Amsterdam has in place to kind of protect the sex workers who work in like you know like the red windows and stuff like that and they've got their own room and kind of like the things that they've put in place to make sure people are doing this like on their own volition like they have autonomy they're not being forced into it mm -hmm. um like that's the kind of stuff i would like to see more of rather than kind of like criminalizing sex workers and stuff like that yeah of course um and I also just think like a lot of kind of discourse around porn does like a massive disservice to porn creators with the insinuation that they're like just selling their body. I think it's a pretty weak argument if I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> yeah, because I would argue that anyone doing any labor for any person is essentially say like selling their body. Um, and yeah, I'd say totally. that like, so during my degrees, I did on and off like a little bit of uh, OnlyFans and I would say I sold my body far more working my shitty retail job that I worked <laughs> from like 4am to 8am three or four times God. a week than I ever did doing that kind of work. So I think like people need to listen to people who have experience with porn production and sex work and stuff mm -hmm. more than just kind of, I don't know, I guess very like moralistic people being like, sex is gonna kill you and it's 
killing society kind of the stuff because it's like that doesn't really help anyone i don't think um, yeah but yeah well, i mean it's just like with anything of like listen to the people who are actually involved you know like mm-hmm. don't i don't know like there's no reason for just a bunch of random people who don't have any kind of stake in it at all to be spouting all this information and it's like actually maybe listen to the people who are making the porn and see like what you know what is going to make it better for them like what do they need like i don't know just actually supporting the people who are doing it in a good way i guess yeah it's like that thing of like are you just minding someone else's business like yeah i just say that all the time now because i'm just like it's so true like why are you just like in these people's business like just leave them alone like it really doesn't affect you yeah especially with like OnlyFans and all the stuff that people are kind of doing on their own it's like literally no one's business so just (laughs) let them do their thing yeah literally (laughs) so yeah there's so much criticism of porn that is just kind of downright like sex phobic and sex negative (laughs) um there's just yeah there's so much stuff and i think we've kind of touched on some of it before but the whole like oh, no one would want to marry a woman who's done sex work, you know, that kind of thing, like insinuating that like a woman's value only lies and, you know, the whole like thing of virginity and like, I don't know, it's just, it's so frustrating to see because I think so much of it is like, I've kind of lost where I'm going with that sentence, but <laughs> I feel like, like we've complained about it before and we will complain about it again because yeah. it's just so ingrained, but it's very frustrating. It's just like super misogynistic and like, yeah, the thing that... It's like these, you know, kind of those weird, like, absolute clowns on, like, TikTok and YouTube, and, like, they have their own podcast where they're, like, men's rights, and they're, like, absolute, just, like, I'm an alpha male, and they're, like, oh God. value woman. Like, if you want, like, a high-value woman, she doesn't go and, like, sell herself around. It's like, okay, shut up. But then, like, um, these dudes always want, like, a woman who is, like, really good in the bed. Like, they want that. But then they're also like, I don't want her to have had any sexual experience before me. And it's like, literally pick a struggle. Like, pick one. You can't have both. Like, I think it's very unlikely that someone having their very first sexual experience, they're going to be like some kind of sex god. Because your first experience tends to be kind of weird and awkward. And that's just kind of how it goes a lot of the time. But like, Mm -hmm. I just, I hate that argument where it's like, I want both. Where it's like, no, that's not gonna happen especially if you think that like she shouldn't be masturbating or watching porn or stuff it's like how is she gonna learn all of these things and like learn all these things about like her own body and stuff like that if you think she should just be kind of this like little shut-in virgin and just like not do that but then also be super sexually liberated so (laughs) super sexually liberated but you know I just think it's very dumb yeah like that in itself is just like a fantasy you know exactly it's like that's just not it's not the reality, love. Like, people got to, like, learn and figure this stuff out, and usually that's through experience, so... Yeah, and you get it, like, you get the sort of sex negativity from, like, uh, from other women as well, like, mm-hmm. you get, you know, like, another counterpart of TERFs is, like, SWERFs, like, sex yeah. worker exclusion, radical feminist, like, the whole thing of, like, we need to be protecting women from sex work, and it's, like, like what are you actually protecting women from like because sometimes it just comes off as like protecting women from like their own choices about their own life which like doesn't really kind of make sense with the whole feminist thing anyway it's very infantilizing i think because obviously like i can agree with obviously things of being like we need to protect people from sex trafficking but usually if we're talking about people who are making their own decision to go into the porn industry and Mm -hmm. do something like start an OnlyFans or work for a production company or something they're making that decision and like obviously if you're gonna be a feminist you should be obviously like supporting people's decisions as long as obviously the whole thing that i always say where it's like they're not hurting themselves other people or like committing a crime within reason because obviously crimes don't equal morality mm-hmm. my whole thing but yeah <laughs> like i just i hate it a lot of tough and swerve things is very infantilizing i think especially mm-hmm. to people that they deem women because obviously they cool trans men kind of like lost women who got manipulated by the trans cult like this is like an absolute like different path of like the argument we're making but it's just like that thing where it's like they perceive kind of women or people that they perceive to be women even if they don't identify that way as being like vulnerable and they're so easily manipulated and i'm like how is this a radical feminist thought this is literally just like how men tend to perceive women like especially yeah, historically like, so i'm very confused yeah and like if you actually want to protect you know sex workers or people who are involved in porn like there are lots of ways to do that without being 
like yeah sort of infantilizing people mm. like putting in place those actual kind of um you know rules that are going to keep people safe um rather than like trying to just force people out of what they've chosen as their sort of career path yeah it's like doing stuff like not allowing stuff like the nordic model to go through because that doesn't work if you actually listen to yeah, sex workers God. instead of people quote unquote trying to protect them it's like realistically this puts them in more danger because people don't want to get caught and criminalized for having like sex with a sex worker so then they have to do yeah. more dangerous things and like offer more dangerous offers because they need that money so like if you really cared about these people, then you wouldn't be advocating for things like that, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you actually listen to sex workers talk about the Nordic model, you'll see that it is, like, not what people need whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to, like, actually bring more harm and risk and danger into the situations. Um, but a lot of the times people who are promoting these ideas aren't actually talking to the people who it'll actually affect. So that's yeah. quite unfortunate. But There's some good... Um... I saw it on Google Images once, I'll try and find it and like link it, but it was like someone who had sat down with sex workers and kind of did like a mind map of like everything that they were saying and like Mm. did little diagrams and stuff about like what is wrong with the Nordic model. Um, And that was like a really good like visual way of me taking in all the arguments like against it. So I will try and find that and put that in the show notes too, because I think it's important that people kind of understand it a bit better and like the actual like impact it can have on sex workers. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Um, and I, I think, you know, a big point that we've kind of been making is the whole idea of bodily autonomy. You know, this mm-hmm. is, you know, if this is something that someone has chosen to do, then, you know, that is not something we should judge them for. Um, but there, there's also obviously the argument that people, you know, turn to sex work due to a lack of choice. You know, they need to make money somehow. Um, and, you know, because of capitalism, the options sometimes are, are, are quite limited. Yeah. It's like um, I watched Louis Theroux did a documentary, I think it was quite recent, um, about sex workers, mm. and he followed three women um, in it. And like by the end of it, like the kind of picture about sex work was entirely very negative, and it was kind of like mm. people being like, oh, like, I guess like I don't actually really like it that much, lol. Which like I guess can be true for some people, but also isn't true of other people so i think like Mm -hmm. sometimes people think i don't know i think like uh, because of capitalism stuff like people often have to work jobs that maybe they don't really want to do so like me doing a stupid supermarket job um but like it's just interesting to me how i guess like sex work is put on like an entirely different pedestal to doing stuff like night shift work or something else that someone might not necessarily enjoy very much I think it's because people hold on to that kind of the intimacy aspect of sex, which is important for some people, but might not be that important for other people. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. And like, you know, obviously when people do have negative experiences, that is something that, you know, is important to like value as well. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think a big part of it is just kind of like realizing that people have so many different experiences around it and like they're all valid and you should listen to all of them and not just like kind of listen to the ones that already kind of confirm, you know, what you think about, about sex work or about porn or anything like that. Yeah. I think like another thing about like, if we look at the effects of porn on people, um, I think like a lot of the time, like I've definitely seen studies about this, but I don't remember where they are. So this is bad sign to stand because (laughs) not citing my things, but, um, I think like it could be more to do with I guess like what the actual person is like rather than maybe the porn that they're actually consuming. So like if you have, I don't know, like a very violent individual watching and consuming BDSM porn, that experience might be entirely different to someone who is very aware of kink safety and is very educated about kind of porn literacy and stuff like that. Um but then people will kind of be like, people who watch BDSM porn are all violent people. And it's like, <laughs> maybe some people are, but that's not necessarily the fault of the porn. I guess it's more of a yeah. product of what that person was like before. Um, it's like the whole and, like violent video games and like yeah. violent movies and TV argument. Like it's the moral panic around like, oh, if people see this in their TV and movie and video games, they're immediately going to want to do that. And it's, again, that's that's not really it. It's kind of similar to like 
I don't know, the whole idea that like, oh, if you teach kids about sex or if you give, you know, if you give condoms to people and they're immediately going to go out and have sex. And it's like, well, no, no if, if they're going to go out and have sex, they probably we're going to do that already. Yeah. You know, the condom doesn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah, exactly. I think another sort of important thing to consider is that like porn is just media. So like mainstream porn is going to have a lot of the same issues that mainstream media does. Um Again, I feel like we're always like, oh, we live in a society, but like, you know, we do. And, you know, the problems that people have around porn being, you know, there can be like sexist elements or racist or transphobic elements. You know, these are all valid concerns, which, you know, like we share these concerns as well, but they're not specific to porn. Like there are obviously differences in how they're portrayed in porn than like other types of media. But, um, you know, we see a lot of similar issues in TV and film. Um you know, one example I could think of is there's this whole thing about like some lesbian porn being like directed by and marketed towards straight men, um, which obviously sucks. Like lesbians deserve better porn. But, you know, we see similar things in like queer films that are directed by straight people and starring straight people and they're kind of made for a straight audience mm -hmm. um, and they're not actually like representing anyone. Um, and, you know, there's there's so many different things as well. Like you see this kind of teen porn or like barely legal porn which you know can feel icky but then we see similar stuff in real life with like middle-aged male celebrities like dumping their girlfriends once they reach their mid-20s or something yeah. like th these issues are okay, everywhere Leonardo you know DiCaprio. like it is not just porn i know yeah <laughs> it's like you hear stuff about all the time yeah yeah like it, and it's just you know that obviously is a big issue but it's not just an issue with porn um and i think you know there are things that you can enjoy and think critically about and like you know, you think of these like sort of sex comedies, you know, um, and the whole point is that like the guys want to like lose their virginity to a hot girl and it's, you know, this whole thing and it's, you know, like slapstick and funny and whatever, like people can enjoy these, um, just like people can enjoy porn that is maybe, you know, marketed towards a mainstream audience. Um, but you know, you need to be able to kind of think a bit critically about them, like not in a way that's sort of overanalyzing everything they're doing, but just you know, knowing that like this is a movie or this is porn and it, it's not real life, you know, there's mm -hmm. more to all of these things than, than what I'm seeing on my screen. Um, I feel like that is kind of the main point around porn literacy is just having that extra awareness. Yeah, like I think like a very good example of this is in, um, you know, the documentary Disclosure. Yeah. Um, when they talk about kind of how trans women, particularly their over, like their roles in tv and film are like over proportionally that's not a word over proportionately um kind of sex workers mm. especially if it's like a trans woman of color and like how that's kind of the image that we are given through media or through porn and stuff is this kind of like hypersexualization of trans people but then it's like in real life not every trans person is very sexual mm. but because of this kind of like i guess fetishy kind of perception of transness or maybe like being a lesbian or something that could be something that people kind of take in as like a kind of example of what these people are like especially if they've never if they don't think they've ever met a trans person i think they probably have once in their lifetime but didn't know it mm -hmm. um but like if they don't think they've met a trans person before then they could just be like oh yeah trans people are just like this and i'm like no like please like realize like this is just media and like media representations of trans people needs to change a lot obviously and it is starting to change mm. um but i think people maybe i think it's just that thing of just like people need to take that time to be a bit more critical about the media they're watching especially if it's stuff about kind of minority groups who have historically gotten a bit of the short end of the stick with how the media has represent like represented them in the past um yeah yeah i, I kind of i mean it goes back to what we were saying of like you know everything you know about sex shouldn't be learned just from porn you know people need more than that yeah. you know people need sex ed and people need you know depictions of sex and porn that is you know i guess more healthy or realistic um you know, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but if it's the only thing that you're learning about, you know, about life from, then it's not really going to be the full picture. Yeah. Like, I know my Instagram is obviously going to be skewed towards whatever I have previously liked and stuff because algorithms and <laughs> stuff. But like, I am like very grateful to the fact that there are so many new kind of like sex education Instagram accounts and stuff that are popping up and like a lot of them yeah. are very popular and there are books like Come As You Are and things like that which are 
like have very good kind of depictions about what sex is actually like and kind of normalizing things and dispelling a lot of myths and stuff that maybe people might have learned through porn if that's the only reason like only way that they've learned about like certain aspects of sex or something like that like i really do appreciate the work that people are doing to kind of help give some critical thinking i think yeah i would completely agree i think that's such a strength of you know social media especially of being able to get these messages across to um you know to the people who haven't really heard that before so i think that can be a really powerful thing yeah and we hope that our podcast does that too (laughs) yeah i know that that's kind of the whole reason we're talking about this is you know we know that people haven't probably had these conversations before so you know I think what we'd hope is that this sparks a conversation about porn or about any of these things in your life and just, you know, have a little think about it. Yeah, because I remember I wanted to do this episode because, one, I don't think I was ever really, like, I don't think they ever really talked about porn with us in sex ed, but then I also don't really remember most of what they said because I was kind of tuned out because I was like, none of this fucking applies to me, so I don't care. Um, (laughs) um, And then also... Amp from What's a Safe Word did a reaction video to uh, Billie Eilish did a kind of like interview thing where she was basically oh yeah yeah the thing where she was kind of going off about porn like how it traumatized her and I'm like obviously that's sucks like that shouldn't have happened to her like I do feel for her but then like a lot of the arguments she was making were very like overgeneralized and quite sex negative and well, I think coming from a place of hurt, which is obviously, like, I don't want to, like, blame her for thinking the things that she thinks because it is coming from mm. that place. But, like, there are a lot of things, and she obviously has, like, a very big audience of people and, like, young teenagers who might take those messages, I guess, and be a bit, like, uncrit- uncritical about it and just be like, yes, this is the correct way to view porn, when it's, like, realistically, mm. porn can be very healthy. healthy. Yeah, that's, like, it's such a shame for her and like i understand why she feels that way but you know not exactly the message that like people need to be sort of spreading but mm-hmm. yeah i can link the um video that amp did as well there's going to be a lot of links in the show notes i think um yeah yeah but no that sounds good that was a very good um video because i think amp's a lot better articulating my thoughts about the interview as well because obviously <laughs> he has way more experience in sex education and also porn production Mm -hmm. and stuff so he has a lot more to say about it than i would um but that's like a very good thing yeah cool sounds good thanks for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed all of our hot takes on porn um if you're enjoying our episodes we'd love to hear from you you can find us on instagram and twitter at gender fck pod um we post recaps of our episodes there as well as well as any news that comes up um But yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Um, We hope you're enjoying the episodes and thanks for listening.